Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And welcome to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I am your host, Eric Fisher, and I am very excited to bring you another awesome episode this week. This one is an interview with author, podcaster, blogger, all-around great guy, Dan Miller. He's the author of 48 Days to the Work You Love, No More Dreaded Mondays, and recently co-wrote a book called Wisdom Meets Passion with his son, Jared. Dan and I talk for about a half hour, and yes, this is another shorter episode, but also another potent one. But first, I wanted to let you know that this week's episode is brought to you in part by GoToMeeting by Citrix. To be successful in business, you need to be able to meet with your team wherever they are, whenever you can, to discuss plans or share ideas, but often... People are not all in one place, and so you need to be able to do a face-to-face meeting, and that's not possible unless you're using GoToMeeting with HD Faces. GoToMeeting with HD Faces allows you to share the same screen and make it easier for you and your team to all be on the same page. You can connect with anyone from anywhere, and you can even use your iPad, iPhone, or even Android apps. You can have up to 15 people in a meeting, and up to six people can share their webcams at the same time. Try GoToMeeting free for 30 days. Don't wait. For this special offer, visit GoToMeeting.com, click on the Try It Free button, and use the promo code PODCAST. Be sure to use the promo code PODCAST. GoToMeeting. Meeting is believing. And now, here's the interview with Dan Miller. This week, it is my great privilege to bring to you author, blogger, podcaster even, Dan Miller. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thanks, Eric. Looking forward to talking with you today. Awesome. So, I'm going to go ahead and start off the way I start every show is to ask you the the question, in an ideal world... How do you start your day, or what's your morning routine like? You know, I can tell you very, very easily, and uh, I have most days start off in an ideal way. I haven't used an alarm clock in probably 30 years, and sometimes that surprises people because I have a lot of early morning appointments and things to do, but I go to bed when I'm tired, and I wake up rested and ready to go. Now, I'm an early morning guy anyway, so I wake up ready to go. Just this morning, I had a early morning guys meeting with at Dave Ramsey's place, a group of guys that Dave and I have been meeting with for 12 years now. And one of his audio guys was there early. And it was obvious that he thought it was pretty early in the morning to be there. It was about 6.45. 
He says, why is it that every time I see you coming in here in the morning, you've got a smile on your face? <laughs> he said, I said, you find it kind of annoying, don't you? He says, yeah, I really do. This time of day, for you to be that smiling, he says, what's up with that? And I, I said, you know, I'm a morning guy. I said, I get up in the morning, boom, I'm ready to go. Now, what I do, I get up in the morning earlier than my wife does. She's not a morning person. I get up, and I usually hit the treadmill right away. I'm on the treadmill for an hour. The reason I enjoy that so much is I'm not really an exercise fanatic, but the reason I'm always looking forward to that is because, boom, I open up, you know, what podcast am I going to listen to? Do I have the new success CD audio? You know, what am I going to listen to? That's why I'm so excited about it. Now, I've got a fancy TV in my treadmill. It's a pretty fancy machine. I never have the TV on. I cannot stand the constant interruption with commercials and the, the anyway the tactics of even the news media. I listen to podcasts. That's what I do in the morning. So I get an hour on the treadmill. So I, I'm in a full sweat. I usually have a page of notes that I've made to myself from being in a full sweat, stimulating my creative thinking, and also listening to podcasts. At that point, I hit the shower boom, and by then, usually Joanne is up and around, and we have our muffin together. I have a, a muffin that doesn't have any wheat in it. It's very wholesome with uh, you know nuts and carrots and coconut and things like that in it, and I make myself a smoothie. I have protein in there and the barley green, some other components, frozen fruit to make it a smoothie, and that's my morning, and at that point, I'm ready to go. At that point, it's about 8.30 in the morning. I don't schedule anything uh, before 9, typically, in terms of my regular routine. And so by 9 o'clock, I've done the most important things I need to do for the day. That's to get myself prepared, thinking, creative, energized, ready. Everything the rest of the day is not as important as that first hour of the day. You know, Henry Ward Beecher says the first hour is the rudder of the day. The first hour really defines the direction of our day. And man, I believe that. Yeah, that's definitely true. And I've found that to be true for myself. So then how do you know, how do you keep track of what's your next thing or what is on your schedule for the, the day after you've launched your day the right way? Yeah, because I don't have a boss that I check in with. I don't have somebody telling me you need to have this done by 5 o'clock. I'm totally on my own. But I'm very intentional about the use of my time. I have blocks of time set out to do particular things every single week. So I can go on my schedule right now for September of 2013 and tell you what that week is going to look like. Now, certainly if there's opportunity you know, to be on the early show or to speak at the Catalyst Conference. I mean, those things get inserted, but my weeks aren't just open just in case, you know, nothing happens. No, they're always scheduled. The biggest contributor to my productivity is that I work in focused, uninterrupted blocks of time. So Monday mornings, as an example, I'm always excited about it. Mondays, Monday mornings, I write my blogs. Now, people who follow my material realize that I blog every day, but I don't really blog every day. I write my blogs on Monday morning, so that's what I do. So I write five of them, Monday through Friday. They're scheduled. They're all ready to go. Now, if something happens, a big news event or whatever happens on Wednesday, and I want to make that 
address that on a blog on Thursday. I can always jump in and intercept that schedule, but that's what I do on Monday mornings. Monday afternoons, I have that allocated to reviewing manuscripts. I get a lot of manuscripts sent to me for forwards or endorsements. I consider that to be a valuable part of my own marketing exposure and being part of this community. So Monday afternoons, I do that. All during the week, it's like that. In Wednesday mornings, I have an early morning meeting. And then from 9 to 11.30, I do my weekly podcast. And all those things are identified. Thursday mornings, I do the newsletter. I have certain times like this set aside for interviews. I mean, sometimes I have a lot of interviews. In last week on Thursday, I did 15 radio interviews uh, in one day. So I make those things work. But my time is very carefully, intentionally assigned in advance. It's just like doing a budget. You don't look over your shoulder after the fact and say, geez, where'd the money go? And a lot of people do that with their time. Wow, I was really busy this week, but I don't remember that I really accomplished anything. I decided in advance, what is my time going to be spent doing? That sounds a lot like the whole principle of the opportunity cost. When you choose yes for one thing, you're choosing no for another. That's exactly right. Yeah. I know that when you decided to write 48 Days, you had an opportunity cost choice at that point. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, I had already at that point been producing a three-ring binder with the principles for 48 Days in there. So I had already sold a couple million dollars worth of 48 Days to the Work You Love in just a very simple form that I had done myself, three-ring binder two CDs in there. We were selling a ton of those. Because we had sold a lot of those, I had publishers knocking on my door saying, do we want to do this? I looked at that very carefully before I agreed to do that. Now, part of the opportunity cost there was that I went from selling a $39 product where we had about $7 in it, so I had about a $32 net profit on every one of those that I was selling to a product that then was when it was sold on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, I would make about $1.50. That's a big drop. I had to be convinced that there was going to be an increase in volume to compensate for that reduced net margin. There were a whole lot of opportunity cost in there. In terms of compiling the information, it really didn't require much new of me because I had essentially already had it put together. But in terms of the economic model, it was a major deal to look at the changes that were going to happen as a result of that. Yeah, definitely. And then in Wisdom Meets Passion, you mentioned that there was another choice involved with that book, which was you could either write a thesis or you could write that book. <laughs> okay, that's exactly right. That's that's how that happened. I had been in a doctoral program, loved the study, loved the academic process, and then I reached the time where all I had left to do to get my doctorate was do a dissertation. And I met with the committee, these four old guys, and they laid out the process. And I said, yeah, as I understand it, you know, I, I need to produce a document, spend a year and a half or so to produce a document that no one else in the world will read except you four. I mean, it's not intended for anybody else to read. But in you reading it, if you think it's adequate, then you'll give me a piece of paper to hang on the wall. I said, or, as I view it from my side of the table, I could spend that same amount of time, produce a book, and hopefully change the lives of a lot of people, 
and maybe make a million dollars or so in the process. Well, they were mortified, horrified that I positioned it in that way, but that is exactly what I did. Instead of doing my doctoral dissertation, I wrote 48 Days to the Work You Love, and it did everything I had hoped and more. That's great. I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad you chose that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. That was written back in 2005. Yeah. That's a, that's a long time for a book. I get testimonials every single day on the impact of that book. And it's amazing the longevity of that book. I mean, even in October of last year, October of 2011, seven years after publication, the Washington Post selected 48 Days to the Work You Love as their book of the month. They choose 12 books for the year. That was their book for October. I did a national webinar with them and got all kinds of attention and, of course, a new, new shot in the marketing arm. But that book continues to do very well. So as much as we often look at a doctoral dissertation as being a terminal project. You just do it and that's the end of it. In some, really in the European model even, a doctoral dissertation is intended to be kind of the foundation for your life's work. And that's certainly what I did. And as much as 48 Days replaced my doctoral dissertation, it created a really strong foundation for the work that I've now done the last 15 years. Yeah, definitely. And and I can even say that it creates a really good foundation for Wisdom Meets Passion, because it's almost like a the Wisdom Meets Passion. I mean, I love that book. I just got to say that right up oh, front. Oh, thanks. I, I love that you you took off right where you left off on 48 Days, and then adding Jared's perspective in really, uh, just the father and son dynamic that you can kind of see, you know, the, your whole story about growing up on the farm and how that got you to where you were, and then your pivotal moments, and then him growing up in your household, and then he kind of launches off into even more quote-unquote, unusual territory. And just, it really does exemplify the whole 48... He, he's living out the 48 days as he's growing up in your household, which is really kind of cool to see that happen. Well, thanks for that affirmation. Yeah, our kids are quick to identify, you know, the impact of my work on our personal lives. And that's certainly one of the principles in 48 days is that our work is not just where we put on our hat on Monday morning and go do something different. It's totally blended, and ideally, you know, we want to have work and play so closely aligned that people can't tell which we're doing. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So then, when I know that you in the Forty Eight Days dot net forums, we were talking a little bit about productivity there, and you talked a little bit about distractions and what your biggest boost to your productivity has been. Yes, that is to not be interrupted. I mean, when I see people complain about not getting things done, but then, you know, I'm having a 30-second conversation with them, and they've already looked at their phone three times because they got tweets in, thinking, we aren't having a conversation. You can call it something else, but it's not a conversation. Because when somebody has an interruption, and research shows easily that it takes about 18 minutes to get back to being fully engaged in what you were doing previously. So if you take a phone call, or have an email that pops up, or get a tweet, or a text. I mean, think about the course of most people's day. Most people never go 18 minutes without having one of those things happen, or somebody walking into their office. Those are all interruptions. Yeah. I don't do that. And the reason that I can 
set pretty high goals for what I want to produce is because I had those long, uninterrupted, focused blocks of time. So if I'm going to write, I can be in my office you know, for three hours. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic. For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays. What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your own shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36 percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to shopify magic your ai powered all-star sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond again go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash beyond when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply not a problem without anything. I don't have a phone in my office. I don't have, you know, my phone set for tweets and texts to come in. I don't have emails that automatically load and ding when they come in to let me know. None of that. I'm focused on the task. And I think a lot of people end up staying at a very superficial level of functioning and then being just being frustrated because they aren't really moving up or doing big things or accomplishing the goals they set. There's too many interruptions. They never really go to a deep level where they're going to be most creative and productive. And especially that's a problem these days when we're in a workforce where people are getting paid more for results instead of their time. Absolutely. Yeah. And rightfully so. I mean, that's a, that's a healthy thing for everybody. Yeah. If you're willing to accept responsibility for results, boy, that can be pretty advantageous. What if you're a graphic designer and you get a task to do a new book cover and the fee for that 
is $2,500. Well, it doesn't really matter if it takes you two hours or 20 to do that. And that can be a real boost to a person's you know, productivity and financial success. Yeah, definitely. So I would love to ask you, in your career coach time that you've spent you know, coaching people about careers, what are some of the most common mistakes or things people do that self-sabotage themselves? One of the biggest thing is to continue looking over their shoulder and pointing fingers. When I deal with somebody who is depressed, discouraged, frustrated, angry, resentful, guilty, I know they're looking at things that have already happened. They're looking at the past. What I want to do is get them to draw that proverbial line in the sand, say, okay, that is what it is. Where do you want to be three years from now? As soon as we start to look at that and to make clear plans for where they want to be three years from now, we get things like optimism, boldness, confidence, and those negative emotions start to diminish immediately. Always, it's just the way that it works. I've never worked with somebody where we had a clear sense of what they were going to who was discouraged and depressed, you know, for an extended period of time. So that's part of what I do. Now, there's another thing too, Eric, that's really pervasive right now that just alarms me, and that is the number of people that I'm encountering who say, Dan, I was just diagnosed bipolar. Dan, I was just at 52 years old, you know, found out I'm ADD, ADHD. I have social anxiety disorder. I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. Social anxiety disorder. I mean, is this something that we just, you know, in the evolution of man just appear? No, it's something that drug companies and marketing companies dream up so we have something to cure and they can sell the cure. And a lot of people hang their hat on these terms that they've been given as somehow being an excuse then for not doing really anything extraordinary, for having to kind of live in a hole. And I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. I mean, we can look at people like Thomas Edison and uh, Albert Einstein. I mean, they were bipolar. It's pretty clear to see Thomas Edison he would work for like three hours, and then he'd sleep for 30 minutes, and then he'd work for another couple hours again. I mean, try to put that man in an eight-to-five job in a cubicle, and we would have missed thousands and thousands of wonderful inventions that we enjoy today. Richard Branson. I mean, Richard Branson says in his own story that he contemplated suicide because teachers ridiculed him. He couldn't do well anywhere that he went, you know, couldn't hold a job. Richard Branson, look at what he's done. When he decided instead of that being chains around his ankles, he was just going to focus that in positive directions. The guy's an unbelievable maniac. And, and, and creates things that have brought him wild success, fame, and fortune in every way. But I, I hear people just all the time, gee, I've got social anxiety disorder. Okay, uh, oh, now what? I mean, you can use that as a reason to underperform, or you can use that as, wow, I've got something not everyone has. How can I use this to unlock that one seed of genius that that probably is indicating for me. And I really believe that. So I, I love working with people who have been given tags by society or psychiatrists. If I can get them through the process of not using that as a crutch to unleash the greatness that they have. Yeah, that's outstanding. 
Um, I'd love to hear you talk a little more about something you've frequently talked about in a couple of books, which is identifying five-year goals and then working backwards as you make deposits. Yes. Again, I think there's an old Marshall McLuhan saying that says, you know, life is clear in the rearview mirror, essentially. But a lot of people do that. They have very little sense of direction, and they simply evaluate their life in retrospect. So all of a sudden, they're 65, and they look back and say, okay, you know, I worked somewhere for 30 years, and, you know, then I retired, and I'm in a nursing home. If we can change that model and identify what would success look like for you, and anybody can do this, what would success look like for you three years from now even? What would that mean physically to be successful? What would it mean in terms of relationships? What would it mean in terms of personal development? Do you want to learn a new language? Do you want to travel to another country? What would it mean in terms of spiritual vitality? What would it mean financially for you to be successful? Okay, now knowing those things, identifying all those things that would be part of a successful life, now what career or what kind of work would blend those and allow you to do exactly that? I mean, that's the exciting process we take to look at work, where it should be a reflection of the life that you want rather than the other way around. You know, we're too quick to say, well, gee, they're hiring over here. Here's a career trend. I guess I'll go get a degree there and work in that area. So we allow us sort of be led around by a ring in our nose called career or job, and it cuts people off from doing their very best a lot of times. I'm not a, a bridge burner. I'm not one to tell everybody who comes in, gee, you need to quit what you're doing. We'll figure something out. No, it just means take a deep breath, take that time for introspection. It's healthy at any given point in your life to take a deep breath, look inward again. How has God really gifted me in terms of skills and abilities? How do I relate best to other people? What kind of personality do I have? What are those recurring dreams and passions that I have? Am I on the right track to integrate all those things? Is this a good fit for me? I mean, you're a different person at 45 than you were at 25. I mean, John Wesley used to say that every seven years he burned all his sermons. He said, surely he should be better at writing more meaningful sermons now than he could seven years ago. Well, how often do we hear people say, oh, I've been in the same job for 25 years. You know, if I can just hang in there another 13 more years... I'll be fully vested in my retirement and I can get out of this stinking job. What a travesty to approach work in that way. It ought to be a constant process of reevaluating. What am I really great at? What, what can I do that is remarkable, that brings extraordinary value to an organization? And the application of that is going to change periodically, and rightfully so. Whether by our own choosing or circumstances, it's going to change, trust me. As somebody's looking at those different areas of achievement and they're trying to decide, uh, you know, where their passion meets a, a need in the world, what would you suggest they do to maybe jumpstart picking some of the goals to start making concrete actions towards? I think all of us should be able to recognize, you know, recurring patterns. I mean, I, with the release of Wisdom Meets Passion, I mean, we're hearing from a lot of people who are saying, well, gee, I just don't know what my passion is, don't really have any passion. I'm thinking, wow, we need to do some things to break the monotony of the boring life you describe. I mean, sometimes it's right under our nose, but it may be to read two books that you have not yet read or to go to a concert with somebody that you aren't really very familiar with or go to a seminar. You do something to drive a different way to work. 
hang out with some friends that you've not talked to before. Invite a family over from a different faith perspective than yours and spend an evening with them. Do something to break the routine of sameness so you start to identify, oh, it's when I'm doing this that I really come alive. It's when I'm doing this that my heart sings. I mean, we talk about athletes being in the zone. We all have things where we recognize, man, I'm in the zone when I'm doing this. So that's what we're encouraging, especially in Wisdom Meets Passion, is for people to do things that purposely trigger new ideas, new risk, new areas of opportunity. And then in doing that, again, recognize the clear patterns that are already embracing what you know about yourself. Then what can you do? I mean, the opportunities for applying those things have never been as unlimited, I don't believe, as what they are today. If you want to start a business, I mean, that used to mean 20 years ago, wow, you had to have a quarter of a million dollars because you were going to open a restaurant or a hardware store or a bowling alley. I mean, today that's not true. You can start a business with zero dollars. Matter of fact, Entrepreneur Magazine tells us 69% of all businesses being started, even in today's environment, require less than $10,000. 24% require zero zero and that that percentage is growing because of the kind of things you can do I mean, you can go out this afternoon and uh, clean out your attic and put stuff on ebay and you're fully in business start selling those old baseball cards that you had then this weekend with the funds you got in go out and buy some more garage sales you know something it's that easy so the application once you define what is unique about me what is it extraordinary that I have to offer? You can put legs on that in ways today that we didn't even have as options 10 years ago. Yeah. Sounds like you're talking about the whole thing screenwriters talk about, which is inciting incidents, which I know uh, Donald Miller talks about. And you actually got to go to the Storyline Conference. Yes. Talk a little bit about how we need to model our life as a character in a movie and how we don't want the credits to roll and things to be just disastrous people yawning as yeah. they walk out the door that, that movie it. stunk or they walk out halfway through that's that would make us be the metaphorical suicide so well in, in some ways that's the way author donald miller who wrote blue like jazz and some other books kind of positioned that as they were going to do a movie of that book they had scenes in there you know donald walks out on the balcony he looks both ways he jumps three stories down onto the back of a horse and trots off in the sunset, you know, and he was saying, geez, I didn't really do that. And the movie director says, well, no, you, you know, but what we do to make a movie interesting is take a little bit of your life and then we enhance it to make it interesting. And Donald's like, wait a minute. So my real life sucks. <laughs> Why don't I write the script for my movie in advance and then live it out? Yeah. And that's essentially what he did. You know, and he rode a bicycle across the United States and did some other you know, cool things. But yeah, I encourage people to do that. You are living out the movie of your life. But the cool thing is, you're also the director. You get to write the script. You are the director. You get to choose the players, the actors all the way through. So why don't you do it in a way that when people see the movie of your life, even unfolding today, they go, oh my gosh, that is the coolest thing I ever saw. And I think we all have the opportunity to do that. What a, what a great thing that we can do. You know, I took my sons to that conference, and it, we had a blast. Uh, yeah. I, when I read that part 
I thought to myself, that's that's exactly what I would love to do. And even even now, I have a one year old son, and he's definitely a ball of energy. And I can just tell, like, I'm gonna have to make sure I don't rein him in. I want him to have that just creative writing of his life as he goes. Absolutely, and what a privilege to be a daddy and watch that unfold in a little boy, knowing that he has so many possibilities and opportunities for you to observe where he shines, how he relates to others. We see those things starting to emerge really quickly. A one-year-old, you're already seeing his unique little personality unfold. What an opportunity as a daddy to be part of that story. Yeah, same thing with my eight-year-old daughter. She's a She's an artist. She she's uniquely said. She said, "I love art. I'm good at art. I'm good at writing, and I love to do it." And I'm just uh, like, "Oh, I'm glad you'd know that. I wouldn't have known that at eight. Wow. You know, I'm I'm walking around here in the sanctuary as we speak. This converted barn on our property where I have my office. But this morning there was a group of artists in here. Now in that group of artists is my wife, my daughter, and my granddaughter. Ashley's a little girl, Clara, who's five. Now, first, it was just kind of a convenient babysitter thing to have her in here. But at this point, these artists beg to have Clara as part of the group. And it's partly because of what you've just identified with your, your little girl. Now we, so we have a 50-year-old woman who paints a scene, stands back and says, Oh, wow, you know, it's, the leaves on the tree really aren't the right shade. This brown thing running down through here, it's tar- hard to tell if that's a road, or if it's a river. And they seem back and criticize what they've done. I mean, you see that again and again. Clara, five years old, she paints, she stands back. Oh, my God, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Yeah. I'm really good. Oh, that's great. So my question is, you know, where do we lose the optimism and the confidence that we see in children that age? I mean, I pray that your daughter at eight years old doesn't lose that, that she doesn't in the process of going to school and being forced to stay inside the lines and have the only one right answer, lose her confidence and her own ability to think and create. Yeah. I actually was down in Nashville two, three weekends ago, and uh, I was attending John Acuff's Quitter Conference over at the Dave Ramsey camp there. And Al Andrews, I'm not sure if you know who that is. I do. Okay. He was there, and he shared uh, his book, and he talked about at what point in time do we turn the roll of um, wrapping paper from a sword into a to- uh, into wrapping paper? And at what point do we turn a towel back into a towel when it used to be a cape? Uh, and just wow. it, it hit me hard. I just I said, okay, I've got to realize that my two kids right now are in that point where I remember having a sword and a, and a cape. I, know, I want to make sure they never stop believing that that's what those things are. Boy, no kidding. And and to me, and just in kind of near the ending of our time here and in closing, again, I just want to say the Wisdom Meets Passion book, if people haven't picked that up, is definitely something that brings that sense of there is no such thing as the word impossible these days. And it brings it to the concrete reality of, okay, well, we have to work for a living. So, you know, what are you going to do about dreaming big and using your imagination, but applying it to all aspects of your life and living a good life. Absolutely. People should check that out. Well, we're hearing lots of wonderful things back. I'm getting a lot of requests for writing articles and interviews, and I think it is a message that 
touches most everybody where they're wondering, have I really released my own passion or is that something that I can do as part of my work and not just something I do on the weekend? I mean, all those questions and we don't position cookie cutter answers. This is a very individualized process, but I think everybody does bring something unique and extraordinary to the table and we want to encourage them to find creative ways to release that and do something spectacular, do something remarkable. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much. I want to just ask in closing, where should people go find you if they want to check out your podcast, your blog, etc.? Yeah, well, thanks. Uh, 48days.com, 48days coming from the title of 48days, the work you love, but 48days.com is our website. That has massive amounts of information there, resources and links to podcast, blog, newsletter, and all those things. And then 48days.net, Eric, as you're well aware, mm-hmm. is a real vibrant social networking community. I was resistant to starting that originally because I didn't want a place where people you know, told me what they had for breakfast and I was expected to tell them what I had. But this is not that. This is a place where people really are sharing their own unique ideas and their commitment to do something extraordinary in the world. And they help each other and share resources. So 40days.net, there's no membership cost. It's just a matter of being connected with other people who are on the same path. And that's a wonderful resource if people want to take their own ideas to a higher level. Great. Well, I, I encourage everyone to check those sites out and definitely pick up, if you haven't ever read it, pick up 48 Days to the Work You Love as well as Wisdom Meets Passion. I know I highly endorse them myself. So, Dan, thanks again so much for coming on the show. Hey, absolutely. Thank you. I'm delighted to be your guest and hope that we can just bring some encouragement and inspiration to your listeners. I'm confident we have. <laughs> Well, I appreciate hearing the things that you're doing. I, I hear you lots of different places. You know, I hear you on Cliff Ravenscraft podcast. I hear you referenced on Mike Hyatt's podcast. So I know you're an active player out there, and I commend you on the things you're doing rather than just sitting flat-footed somewhere in a cubicle. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I do spend time in a cubicle, but that's not the only thing I do. <laughs> uh, All right. Well, thank you so much, Dan. Absolutely. My pleasure. Because I believe so much in what's contained within the pages of Dan's new book, Wisdom Meets Passion, I am actually going to do a giveaway. If you would like to win a signed hard copy of Wisdom Meets Passion by both Dan Miller and his son Jared, I also have some Kindle copies that I'm willing to part with. And all you have to do to be eligible in the random drawing to win these is go to the show notes for this show beyond the to-do list.com slash Dan Miller. Go ahead to the comments and leave a comment with what your biggest takeaway was for this episode. And then there will be an embedded tweet inside the show notes. And all you need to do is retweet that. Do those two things and you are eligible to win either the signed copy or I will gift to you a Kindle copy. Do those two things and pass the show on if it really meant something to you. Tweet it, Facebook it, go give an iTunes review if you like it. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Beyond the To-Do List is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. Find more great podcasts like How to Podcast, Clean Comedy, Once Upon a Time, Christian Worldview, and more at noodle.mx. Think, laugh, and succeed by subscribing to our podcasts at noodle.mx.
www.mx.com.